This episode is brought to you in part by Dr. Tony Evans, author of Kingdom Kindness. Learn how to become a countercultural force by reflecting God's kindness. Find this and other uplifting resources on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB blends accuracy and readability, giving pastors a translation they can trust and lay people a Bible they can enjoy. Find out more at csbible.com. Hey, shine a light on me. Learned a lot over these last few years. Industry people ain't friends, just peers. I learned that these girls easy like the morning of a Sunday. They don't love you till you're gone like a rhyme, Still killing over colors, now it's black and blue. We dying every day, B. We just don't make the news. When you speak out for your race, just watch. They gon' twist and say you hate these cops. I'ma take these shots. How can he love Jesus, Kanye, and Kada? Martin, Malcolm, and Schaefer. Mitsubishi, and Maybach. Contradictory, nah. It's complimentary. Understanding me ain't for the simple and elementary. Oh, I know this might go over some heads. But I come from being government fed. Could be running from feds. But now I give the government bread. Cause you playing back the words that I said. I can't believe we made it through. For many of you, Lecrae needs no introduction. His records have hit the top of the Billboard charts for gospel and rap. He's been on The Tonight Show. He's collaborated with tremendous hip-hop artists and rappers. But what makes him so unique is the line he walks between the Christian subculture and the mainstream. A lyric in this song, one that you just heard, kind of sums it up. He says, how can he love Jesus, Kanye, and K-Dot? Martin, Malcolm, and Schaefer, meaning Francis Schaefer. Contradictory, he says, no, it's complimentary. You can't sum up an artist in a single quote, but that one does give you a good sense of who he is and the world he inhabits. There's a pine warbler sitting on a hollow limb He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him And everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on It seems to hush the leaves and the colors all around Now first he sings and then he goes And what it means is hard to know From Harbor Media, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. I'm Mike Cosper, and on today's show, I talk to Lecrae about his journey as a Christian and as an artist. We talk about a lot, evangelicalism, race, recovering from trauma and shame, his relationship with reformed hip-hop, playing with the roots, and a whole lot more. So stay with us. Texas is like my family's origins, but by elementary school, we had moved, so I lived in Denver. Single-parent home, um, mom just trying to get on her feet, a lot of hills and hurdles to overcome, so I would stay in Southern California for a good three, four months out the year, one year, almost the whole year, and mm-hmm. this is till I was about 13 years old. So between Denver, Houston, California, until I was 13, and then by 16, we moved back to Texas. And so then okay. I was in Dallas from 16 on. Yeah. So, yeah. What did home feel like as a kid? Oh, man. You know, it's funny because there was so much trauma, right, inside of my home experience, but I didn't see it as that as mm-hmm. a kid. So even though there were literally nights in elementary school where I slept with a knife under my bed, right, because of just 
all different types of fear. I just have this great picture of my childhood, you mm. know, because there's so many good times. My mom always threw parties. Family always came over. Christmases, it was beautiful, just close-knit. And um, so I think the highs were high, but the lows were low. Yeah. Yeah. You've written about, you've talked about suffering abuse as a kid. One of the things you said is it set up like the trajectory of your life. Sure. In, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk about that at all. And Oh, yeah. So by seven, um, I, w- I was sexually abused. Pretty much through elementary school, I was physically abused. And so because those things were not directly addressed, because they were so just kind of apropos, just par for the course or whatnot, I learned something very unhealthy. And that unhealthy thing I learned was to take trauma and stuff it away in a closet and pretend like nothing happened, mm. right? Because um, even friends at school were going through similar things and it just became like, well, yeah, oh, your mom hit you with this. My mom hit me with the water hose and, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so it just turned into kind of like, well, this is our normal. So mm-hmm. let's just stuff this down in a way and move forward. And and when I say I set the trajectory of my life, I think um, my perspective of of you know, physical intimacy was warped because of that incident as a kid. And then, you know, my father not being around, you know, adjusted my perspective of self. And so long story short, I think my childhood taught me one to to just plow through trauma Mm -hmm. and don't acknowledge it. And two, it taught me that I'm going to have to earn everything. I'm going to have to earn love. I'm going to have to earn respect. I'm going to have to earn companionship. I'm going to have to earn everything. And so that's kind of how you lived for the next couple decades, decade or so. Until yesterday. Inside of a broken soul Alcoholics to addicts English, African, Arabs Ain't no riches to fix it You still broke when you have it If you ain't breaking bad And you still chasing a habit It ain't no wonderland So we still chasing a rabbit Ain't a soul on the planet That's better than another And we all need grace In the face of each other What's up? Was music just a part of your life? Did you always want to be a musician? Did you always want to be around it? Yeah, I think um, My mother loved music So every activity in the house was a company with the soundtrack. It was just never mm. a time when music wasn't playing. So you wake up, she's going to clean, music's playing. She's going to cook, music's playing. Parties, music's playing. And so I grew a, an appreciation for music because of that. And then I think the times I spent in California at my grandmother's house, my grandmother was just, she welcomed everybody. It was like the family in. So my cousins would always be there and they were older and they got really into hip hop music. So around six or seven, probably seven or eight, I would sneak and watch them watch rap videos. Were you not allowed to watch them? Nah, it's yeah. too young. It was, okay. And it was too late. I was supposed to be in bed. <laughs> and so just seeing kids, you know, in those videos, some of them my age because they were used as like, you know, background or like, you know, maybe they were the artist kids or little brothers. Um made me see a world that I could exist in. And uh, that got me like, I want to do this. Hmm. You know, I saw it. I want to be a part of this. What do I need to do? Yeah. How'd yeah. you first start playing playing around with it? So initially there were some kids next door to me. They were all brothers and their parents were so afraid of them getting caught up in the street life that they were like hermits. They had hmm. to stay in the house all the time. So they were bored and they just would constantly get creative and they started making music. And so, you know, they were my neighbors. So I just started hanging out with them and we all just started playing around and they would, they had to take piano lessons. And, you know, I think their dad or granddad was a music minister. So they just were playing stuff. And I started 
getting involved in it and we just started making up songs, you know, about, about 10, 11 years old. Talk to me about your faith. How does, how does faith enter your life? I guess you you move around, you yeah. ended up at, did you end up at North Texas? Is that yeah, you were University of North school? Texas. Is that where you came to faith? It is. University yeah. of North Texas where I came to faith. It's so funny. I just recently connected with a friend of mine that I went to high school with. She reminded me in high school how I was just this vehement atheist, you know what I mean? And she mm. was like, you are just always trying to debunk the Bible and just, and I called my aunt at like three in the morning one time and tried, my aunt was a minister and she was trying to convince you. And <laughs> I just, I didn't remember it, but I do remember kind of my high school, my formative years really searching and really like frustrated. And, you know, my grandmother was very, very, very uh, serious about her faith and it just didn't seem to make sense to me. It, I just couldn't make the pieces of the puzzle fit. And I got into a lot of trouble my senior summer, you know, got in trouble with the police, pregnancy scares, and hmm. I was just kind of at this really dark, lonely place. So I vowed I was going to start fresh for college. You know, hmm. I got a full scholarship, performing arts, I'm going to start fresh. And most freshman students are like tourists. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just kind of like checking out every possible thing. So I was looking at everything. You know, mm -hmm. what kind of club do you have? And, you know, and I went to a booth. You know, they have like this uh, freshman fair and you go around and see all the organizations. And one yeah. of my friends from high school, she was a junior in college by then, I think. But she said, you got to come to our Bible study. And I was like, ah, I'll do it. You know, I'm trying to be a responsible young adult. It seems like a responsible, mature thing to do. I got in a lot of trouble last summer. And I went and I was, um, I always prided myself on at least feeling like I was pretty intelligent and, and well-versed in things. And I was just very ignorant as it pertained to the Bible when I got to this Bible study. So hmm. my pride kept me coming back so I could keep learning and just to see, like to fill these gaps in. Um, and eventually I ended up at a conference with uh, some of the, 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 the believers on campus. And that's where I heard the gospel. And hmm. uh, it shook me like like nothing else. It was just a radical transformation. Hmm. Just yeah. overnight. Really overnight. I mean, a lot of seeds have been planted. I do remember mm -hmm. going out with one of the guys on campus who was a Christian. And, and he said, man, I just want to be honest with you. Um, I think you have this like what his words were you know, you have faith, but it's not a saving faith. Mm. And I remember just being like crushed, like exposed. It's like imposter syndrome. Cause mm -hmm. I thought, Hey, I'm hanging out with the Christians. We're all like in the same boat. <laughs> and he made this distinction that you're not really like what we are. Mm. And I was like, what? So I had to do some internal soul searching and that yeah. when I heard the gospel, it kind of clicked for me. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. You were such a, such an atheist in high school. Like what made you, what, what drew you to that? Um, I think a lot of it was pseudo-intellectualism. You know, I grew up loving hip-hop, and, you know, hip-hop, especially in the 90s, mid to late 90s, was like a lot of pseudo-intellectualism, a lot of 5% uh, just kind of offshoots of Islam and just knowledge of self and read books. And so mm -hmm. um, just kind of rebelling against any kind of uh, systematic, thought process and I felt like oh that's what this bible is it's another oppressive systemic thought you know uh you know process that they're trying to put me inside of and I rebelled against it hmm. um but I think a lot of it really was if I'm honest with myself was um I couldn't bear the weight of the conviction hmm. right like I didn't want I've wanted the liberty to do what I wanted to do without consequence, without thinking that there was a right or there was a wrong. It was there at North Texas that Lecrae linked up with other like-minded artists and friends and started the 116 click. 116 stands for Romans 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We were the we were the outcasts, mm -hmm. you know. We were the rebellious group of none of us were churched. Mm -hmm. So so uh, a guy named Dahadi Lewis who's now a pastor, he um, he was a football player at North Texas. he gotten saved maybe two years before me. And he just said, I'm starting a Bible study. And he, and he started with football players, you know, a bunch of ragtag rough guys. And then that trickled down to like frat boys and sorority girls and just 
people who just were not churched. We were just the party animal, crazy people on campus. And But that's who he was attracting. Even within that group of individuals, there was still a sect of us who felt a little more rebellious. You know, we were like, we're not even really supposed to be in college, you know, but we're here, you know. Um, and we, we came from... Um, we had this duality, you know, this like f- internal fight because we came from more so urban inner city environments. But here we were on this college campus. So we were just trying to hold on to some semblance of where we came from yet be on campus. And then now adding Christianity into it and just yeah. like, what does this look like? So uh, it was essentially like a little Christian gang, you know, <laughs> but we were aggressive. You know, we were yeah. aggressive. We wanted to go reach the streets and reach the campus and talk to the most wildest kids on the campus. And yeah. that was just our heartbeat. And uh, it's like you, Show Baraka. Me, Show Baraka, uh, my buddy BJ Thompson, uh, Tadashi. Hmm. Um, and it was a couple other guys who don't rap now, but, uh, you know, a couple other guys. And, and it just was a, we were just, you know, like, hey, let's let's go do this. Let's let's get out here and mix it up on campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I talked to Show was on the show last year. Yeah. And uh, when I talked to him, one of the things he said about you is that of that crew, like you were the first one to kind of go, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to pursue this. Yeah. When did that click in for you that you wanted? You felt like you had what it took and you were going to go after it. I'd, I'd always wanted to do music. I just I just had a passion for it. The opportunities that I was given to like rap at a juvenile detention center or rap at a campus ministry event or something like that. Those were opportunities where people would rally around me and say, man, you're good, Hmm. you know? And and, and then there was one guy I really respected. His name was Will. Will was, he'd already graduated from school. He was like a financial advisor and just kind of the quintessential, he's gonna hate me if he ever hears this, but quintessential kind of nerdy guy. But I respected him because I was like, man, you seem like you have your life together. And yeah. Will said, oh, gosh, Lecrae, you just don't waste this gift. You just got something. You got to do this. And I'm like, well, if the financial plan is telling me to rap, <laughs> <laughs> I need to take it seriously. Yeah. So that was that was a pretty uh, eye-opening moment for me. That's great. Yeah. So 04, your first record comes out. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Talk to me about uh, making the record, getting it out there. What would that feel like? Yeah, it was great. I had made a lot of songs in my in my closet and then um i met my and at that pa- time are you doing everything are you everything yeah. i had a little cd press thing you just like kind of put the cd in it sticks a sticker on top of it i was <laughs> printing them each by i had the big like you know little barrel of cds right. and i would take them with me everywhere on campus and pass them out or sell them and uh and and at a at a bible study i met my my partner now reach records ben washer and he was really into you know hip-hop uh specifically like done well by christians because he worked at a Christian sports camp and for inner city kids and the music had to be good. Mm-hmm. So he had a passion for that. And we were volunteering at the detention center and he said, let's, let's start a label. And you know, that was my dream from day one. So he kind of took his life savings and another friend of his, and they said, let's start this thing called reach records. Um, they started with a folk band hmm. and it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> and so I was next up and, and, and what, a big jump. It was a big jump. <laughs> they just, you know, this was kid, you're 22, 23. Right. You it's don't know like, yeah, let's do everything. It's yeah, just, yeah. We could do it all. Uh, so, you know, that didn't work. And then we we put together my project, and it just kind of was a very grassroots, but it, it was effective. And mm-hmm. I, all the guys, you know, Tadashi Show, everybody around me, I put them on my project as if it was some kind of compilation. It wasn't, but mm-hmm. I just knew these guys were talented and didn't want to do it alone. And it took off. It took yeah. off on campus, then it took off kind of locally, regionally, took it to the inner city sports camp, and then it took off kind of, you know, around the country. And I mean, when I say take off, I mean like, you know, maybe like 15,000 CDs or something like yeah. that. But that was a big deal for us for at that sure. point in time. Yeah. Here's a track from that first record. Man, I consider my life nothing. If I could just finish the race and complete the job the Lord Jesus gave me. I live to tell the world his message. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed. I ain't ashamed. We sold out. Sick in God's face till we fold out. He wanted, we got it. We ain't trying to hold out. Break me, shake me, mold me. I'd rather die like Christ than live unholy. We sold out. Sick in God's face till we fold out. He wanted, we got it. We ain't trying to hold out. Break me, shake me, mold me. Six, the panda misfits who get sick 
walk me through a little bit of those those kind of early years, like 04 to 08. Mm. Seems like a distinctive kind of window yeah. and phase in your career, your, yeah. what you're building and and growing. What's what's the what's like the daily grind like? Those are really kind of formative years for me, um, both as an artist and as a just kind of a leader. So I was trying to put myself in in these leadership positions um, where I could serve and use my gifts wisely. I had a passion for the disenfranchised and I had a passion for music. So I didn't know how I could do both. Could I go work at a prison or what could I do? And the opportunity came for me to move to inner city Memphis and, mm. uh, and, and just do work in the neighborhood, just live there, serve people, mentor guys. That kind of was catalytic for both the music and for me, so really it's waking up, it's probably picking up some kids from the neighborhood, going to the movies, hanging out, playing basketball, coaching basketball, then at night going to the studio mm. until all hours of night and uh, mm. recording uh, just based off of those experiences. And then probably Friday, Saturday, Sunday going to do shows. Yeah. And that was, you know, and, and a lot of it was driving. I would dri I drove from Texas to Indianapolis for a hundred dollars. Just you know, it's just it's just a grind. Just every weekend, just go, 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 then back to the hood and, yeah. and mentor and just it, so it was just go. It was nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of young artists, they want to skip those years. You know, I mean, which would be great. Yeah. But those were probably essential. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Makes you appreciate everything. Yeah. It makes you appreciate and sustain, you know, sustainability. You learn how to do with a small thing and make it work mm -hmm. for you in the long term. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, makeshift studios, you know, my wife now was running Pro Tools for me. <laughs> she had to learn how to do it so I could get in the booth. It was yeah. just like, you just figuring stuff out, but it worked, you know, mm -hmm. it was effective. Hey, I just want to take a moment here, and before we get back to the episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor, the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible captures the Bible's original meaning without compromising clarity. It's an optimal blend of accuracy and readability. This translation helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is really for everyone, for readers young and old, new and seasoned. It's a Bible pastors can preach from and a Bible you can share with your neighbor, hearing God's Word for the very first time. Reading your Bible shouldn't feel like a chore. Learn more at csbible.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Asbury Theological Seminary, a multi-denominational evangelical seminary rooted in the Wesleyan tradition. Serving nearly 100 different denominations, Asbury Seminary prepares theologically educated, sanctified, spirit-filled men and women to evangelize and spread scriptural holiness throughout the world. Asbury Seminary is a spiritually vibrant, academically rigorous community with a residential campus in Central Kentucky, extension sites in Orlando, Tampa, Memphis, Tulsa, and Colorado Springs, and fully online programs. With over 1,800 students from 50 countries, Asbury Seminary is committed to embracing a church that encompasses all people, languages, and ethnicities. Learn more at asbury.to slash get started. At the same time that Lecrae and other artists from the 116 were emerging, there was another movement happening inside evangelicalism, what Colin Hansen has called the Young Restless Reformed Movement. Reformed meaning Reformed Calvinistic Theology. This is what saw the emergence of organizations like Desiring God and the Gospel Coalition, and people like John Piper, Mark Driscoll, and Tim Keller became more and more influential during that time. Lecrae, and a number of other artists like him, from the 116 and other artists like Shai Lin, began to get attached to the movement and labeled Reformed Hip-Hop. It's a label that many of those artists embraced. Another thing about those years that seems distinctive, you were that was sort of the first iteration of like reformed hip hop. Right. Mm -hmm. And you were definitely distinctly a part of that. Mm -hmm. like, do you still consider yourself connected to that? Is that still, what's, how do you, how do you see that now? Place you're in now? Yeah. I, I, whew, that's a, that's a deep, it's loaded. I know. It's got a lot to it. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, it, it, it almost take a book to unpack it all. So there's so many layers to that. On one hand, you're talking about a kid that grew up without a dad and a kid that wanted affirmation. Mm. 
the kind of first people to say you're doing a great job are these conservative evangelical men in in some of these reform circles, right? Um, more so, not even reform, just dispensational DTS guys, like pat me on the back, you're doing good. And I had a friend named Titus, and Titus came over with some John Piper sermons, and, you know, we just wanted to learn and listen, and we started listening to these sermons, and I was like, yo, this is crazy, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, um, and, and so... You, we start aspiring towards something and then you don't have, you don't know, no one stepped in to tell you about what it means to be a man. Like no one had ever taught me how to fix a car, like nothing like that ever. So write a check, nothing. Hmm. And then comes like a Driscoll sermon on manhood and you're just gravitating to it because there's no one saying these things. So by default, of course, still this, the, the idea of pseudo-intellectualism and just all these lofty terms and concepts and and substitutionary penal atonement and eschatology, you're just navigating to that. And it's almost in an arrogant way. It was helpful, but you're almost like wearing these badges of honor. And then you find yourself getting to rub shoulders with some of these teachers and yeah. they're affirming you. So then it's like a, you know, like, good job, son. Mm-hmm. And, um... So it's this weird, muddy mixture of learning things. You're writing songs that are and going on tour and it's heralding a movement behind you and you don't even realize it. So yeah. I didn't know I was waving this banner. Mm-hmm. I was just living it, you know, mm-hmm. and just in this space. I've since tried to remove myself from camps, you know, mm-hmm. tribes and camps and just, I just want to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Of course, I still believe in in, in grace by faith, of course. Um you know, doctrines of grace or what have you, but because I, because of what the Bible says, not so much because of, you know, all these kind of people and books and so on and so forth. Um, so, so yeah, I, I had no idea that's what I was doing. Yeah. I just was a kid, a young man looking for affirmation, looking to learn, looking to grow. And that was the pool that I could dive in. Yeah. I, I I actually first met you at um, a Gospel Coalition conference, yeah. like 2010. Yeah. I think we sat on a panel together or something like that. You know, as I look at it, the reformed hip-hop thing happens, and it feels like there's this, it feels like there's a lot of synergy, but, you know, then Michael Brown happens, and, mm. and Trayvon Martin happens, mm-hmm. and all these issues of sort of racial justice come up, yeah. and it just shreds evangelicalism. They don't sure. know how to deal with it, you sure. know? And it seemed like there was a there was a turning point around that time, for you in particular, but mm-hmm. for a lot of a lot of that movement to kind of maybe distance themselves from, particularly from white evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's so funny. It wasn't like this premeditated thing. Sure, um, I think it became more premeditated. Not even premeditated. It became more of a thing when I went on um, the, the Truth Table podcast and I was asked by one of my sisters, so are you divorcing white evangelicalism? <laughs> I wasn't even, you know, sometimes you forget the world is listening. You're just having a conversation with somebody. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, I guess so. You know, but I didn't, I didn't think of it as like doctrine or yeah. this premeditated thing. Like what we must do now is, yeah. um, it was just where I was and mm-hmm. what was, what had became my life uh, because of the lack of support from, um, you know, white evangelicals for me and what I was speaking on. So mm-hmm. I go from, I remember it very candidly, uh, vividly. I remember Trayvon Martin losing his life and me being disturbed. And, and, and in my naivete, I'm like, I didn't realize, well, the culture that I come from and everything that I've experienced, like, of course it's going to resonate with me. Mm-hmm. I thought it was resonating with the world. I thought everyone was upset that Trayvon was killed. I was like, this is terrible. So I posted about it. And then I received backlash mm-hmm. from 99.9% white Christians. And yeah. I was like, what? You guys aren't set. I'm confused. <laughs> so I said, maybe I said it wrong. Yeah. So then I said, well, let me let me try to say it another way and yeah. ask questions. And that's when I realized, oh, we really come from two different worlds yeah like there's no exposure experience to what i'm talking about and then it by the time we got to michael brown 
it was just a a, a giant divide. Mm-hmm. And um and I at that point in time I knew I'm not supported here. Mm-hmm. And um and so for me it made me say I've got to take a step back and reevaluate really everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had to reevaluate everything. So yeah. yeah. I think that's helpful to see because one of the criticisms, I mean, this isn't a surprise to you, but one of the criticisms you, you've you gotten from inside the evangelical camp, from some of your brothers in the Reformed hip-hop stuff, is that you've you've made compromises as you've gone along. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, I look at it, and first off, I think the fact that you're able to operate in the spaces that you're in is really significant from a like a faithful presence kind sure. of concept. So I don't share that criticism, but I also look at it and I go, man, there, there were so many other things happening inside of evangelical culture, but culture as a whole mm. tearing apart over, yeah. over race and stuff. Sure, that it made sense to me that you moved away yeah. a bit from yeah, all yeah. that. Well, 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 part one, I, I I did feel like I was being monopolized, um, yeah. and I and I felt like it, it's very, it's actually very typical in minority communities to think that the dominant culture is the right culture. Right. And so an affirmation from dominant culture means you're on the right track. Mm. And um, and so that was part of what I was battling and wrestling through, not even battling at the time, but what I was experiencing. And so being monopolized, you know, I didn't know it. I didn't know certain people. Um, and I don't, I can't tell about, talk about anybody's motives, but, sure. but there were definitely people who were attaching themselves to me because I represented the urban community and it made this kind of more white and conservative community look like they were connected to doing more than just what they're doing in this space. Yeah. So part of it was saying, I don't like that feeling. Mm. This feels like I'm being used and I'm stepping away because I, now I don't know who to trust. You know, now I'm, this is, this is a nasty feeling. And then part two was I felt a burden as I started to dive into a lot more of people like Abraham Kuyper, who I, you know, has his, everybody's got their issues. So I'm not sure full on endorsements of anybody right. as you hit, as you listen to me. Um, Retweets are not endorsements. Right. <laughs> but as I started diving into some more culture making mm-hmm. and more people integrating into culture. Um, and I think there's categories for this. I think there's people who do good in society. I think there's people who are distinct in society, people who, you know, preach and 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 fight for conversion in society and people who uh, just function as uh, image bearers in society, right? There's, there's multitude of ways to honor God. But as I learned that there was not one way, mm-hmm. um, I had to step back more because I was convinced I needed to be integrated into culture, mm-hmm. especially in the arts. And God was opening up unique opportunities indoors. And I was receiving a lot of backlash for it, yeah. but without grounds that were convicting or convincing for me. Sure. Yeah. What were some of those doors? Because that's kind of where I was going next. That's like 2012, yeah. probably. Yeah. Things started to kind of break open in a new way. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like, what were some of the doors that opened oh, that man. were exciting for you? Both personally and just kind of artistically, I remember moving to Atlanta. And there's so many layers to this. Oh, my gosh. It would take so much time to unpack and unravel all this stuff. But I remember moving to Atlanta and... Uh, one of the guys who's written all these big R&B songs, you know, Jamie Foxx, Trey Songs, so on and so forth, we're talking. And I tell him I'm into music and, you know, he's like, oh, that's right on. We should connect. We should hook up. And I'm at this point in time, I don't know how to, I, I've been such a separatist mm-hmm. up until this point. I don't really even know how to n- navigate this space with him. He's invited me to events and stuff. And I'm like, I cannot hang with this pagan, <laughs> you know? So I've got to pull the trigger on him today and tell him that he's a sinner in the hands of an angry God. And I remember just that awkwardness of not knowing how to handle that, right? And yeah. But I want to be in these rooms with these people. How, how can you befriend them? And what does this even look like? I remember that wrestle. And then artistically, it was different producers and and people who wanted to work with me and saying, oh man, let's do this and let's do this. And I'm like, wow, that's a unique opportunity. And I want to reach into that space, but I don't know what to do. And I'll never forget, there was a kid and we were riding in the car. I was mentoring him and and a young Jeezy song was on the radio. and, uh, And he said, hey, you can't listen to this, you're Christian. And I said, so you can? And he was like, yeah, I can. 
And I said, man, is that what I give off? Mm. Is is that, you know, he's on like some kind of way, like this kid is not worthy or he's, you know, there's just this, this divide where it's okay for him and not me. And I was like, man, I can't even connect with you about this song. So that led to us discussing, like, what do you love about this song? Why do you love it? What does he mean here? What does this mean? What does that mean? You know, just unpacking that, I was like, this is so helpful. And if only I could do this more. Hmm. And so those kind of things were happening. And that just led me to be convinced, like, I got to move in this space. And once I did that, the the doors flew open. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think looking at what happened that year, uh, you dropped Church Clothes, Volume 1, and Gravity. Gravity makes it to number three in the Billboard 200. Yeah. Number one for Christian gospel and rap. I mean, that had to probably be a big week. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, I know one thing's true. Yeah. I don't even really deserve to know you, but I, I'm a witness that you did this, and I'm brand new, so I, I'm ready to go. And I'ma tell the world what they need to know. I slave to myself, but you let me go. I tried getting high, but it left me low. You did what they could never do. You cleaned up my soul and gave me life. I'm so brand new, and that's all that matters. I, I ain't love you first, but you first love me. In my heart, I cursed you, yeah. but you set me free. Oh. I gave you no reason to give me new seasons, to give me new life, new breathing. Oh. But you hung there bleeding, you died for my lies and my cheating, my lust and my greed. What is a man huh, that you mindful of him? What? And what do I have to deserve this love? It was crazy. None of it planned, none of it premeditated, all of it authentic, me just reaching into the culture. And what I found was, yeah, a lot of majorly white, Christian spaces knew who I was and knew my music. Black non-Christian spaces had no idea. Mm-hmm. Some white non-Christian spaces, right? Of course, no sure. idea who this guy is until that year. Mm-hmm. And that year they paid attention and um and it just the floodgates opened. And now I was live in a living color, the lone Christian in hip-hop standing in their spaces and it's been done before it's not as if i was this pioneer or it had never happened but i think in that season and at that capacity it hadn't and so now well in the world of rap in particular probably you're a pioneer tell me about the tonight show how did that happen yeah shout out to jimmy fallon yeah that's right Just to let you know right about now, you're rocking the best that's right. You're all in tune to the sounds of the almighty. Hard work and revolution, short shot. It's a pleasure to be joined this evening by my man, Lecrae, sitting in with us. Give him a big round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Check him out. kind of a a back and forth thing with my team working out the details for me to get on the Tonight Show. And then once I got there, it was kind of like a tester. It was like, well, we don't know what you're going to do or say. So (laughs) safer to put you in the kind of the box with the roots and let you rap alongside those guys. And, um, and what happened was they put me in there with the roots and we all became friends. Oh, and nice. then we all started hanging and talking and then Jimmy sees and Jimmy, I meet Jimmy and Jimmy's like, oh, you're cool. I thought, you know, it's like, right. you're not a weird kind of weird, I don't know, 
creature yeah. and then the vibe. I mean, was the fear to a certain extent that you were going to get up and be preachy? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, t- absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, and later on that was communicated. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I remember Quest playing the drums and he was, and everybody was joking and everyone's laughing and telling jokes. And then Quest was like, oh man, wait, we got to save the jokes, guys. We got mixed company. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that tells you so much about how Christians are seen. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. profound. That's like the kid in the car. Like, you can't you can't listen to this. Exactly. Like, you can't hear these jokes. Exactly. Yeah. So it was crazy. So I think some of the guards were let down just by me hanging. It wasn't like me, you know, just for the record, like submitting or succumbing to any kind of carnality or whatever you'd have it. It was just me being authentically myself and um, just became genuine to where Jimmy was like, you got to come back. And I was like, all right, if you say so, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, we want you back. And then I came yeah. back and he was like, yo, come back again. And I was like, a third time and then a yeah. fourth time. And then like, this is crazy. So yeah. it just became like a little family. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit. You know, along with the successes have come these these criticisms, these mm-hmm. these. You know, some people have very directly come at you and said you've compromised or sure. you've sold out or you shouldn't be collaborating with this person or that sure. person. I mean, it's just it's interesting to to think of it in terms of like getting pushback. The roots are afraid that their jokes are going to offend you, <laughs> and then your your brothers in Christian hip hop are saying, "Oh man, you've gone too far." Yeah, um, that's well, a that's a fine line to be. No, that's a lonely threading. place, man. It's yeah. a lonely place. I mean, I I think twenty twelve through. 2011 through like 14, the verge of 14 was just a hard mm. time. It was hard. Um, I felt very alone. I was very grateful for my friends who, who'd known me for years, who could comfort me and tell me I wasn't crazy. You're not a sellout. Like, we know your heart. We know what you, what's going on behind the scenes. Um, you're being consistent. You're faithful. You serve at the church. Like, just just stop. You're, you're loose. Because I was starting to internalize it. You know, you, you read that stuff too much. Yeah. You you believe it, yeah. you know. So I'm I'm like, am I in the Illuminati? You know. <laughs> so it was really taking a toll on me. Um, I remember just locking myself in the closet, reading uh, the Gospel of John, and just that it was reading the Gospel of John, just locked in the closet, just overwhelmed with all of the public scrutiny and everything else. Where I saw Jesus, and I was like, oh, you were scrutinized. Mm. No side fully just was like, that's our guy. It's like, oh, this is Christianity. Hmm. You know, and it recharged my batteries in a new way, gave me confidence in a new way. But it was tough because I had friends in the in the rap space who I had never had a conversation with in, in the Christian rap space. I'd never had a conversation with about some of these things. And the first view I've heard of of from them was a song they did about me. Oh, wow. You know, and so it was like, ouch, you know, it was tough. Um, and then, you know, you go, you're not really like, you're not at home in the mainstream space. It's not like you're at home. Like, this is my, you know, it's like, this isn't where I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable around people I have a kindred faith with, but yeah. I felt so rejected there too. So it was a, it was a long, lonely journey for a while. Yeah. Yeah. What what changed? Late fourteen, things started to get different. What? Yeah, I think uh, that's when I I I real you know, of course, reading um, the text and then getting into some more books and um, man, you know, Andy Crouch's Culture Makers and stuff like that, and just you know, just talking to some people. I think I realized. Um, I remember I spent some time out in New York with uh, uh Keller's Faith and Work. Um, and it was a guy named named Kenyon. And Kenyon, black entertainer, actor, theologian, just really spoke a lot of life into me. Mm. And then uh, Dr. Carl Ellis, you know, mm. just spoke a lot of life into me. And um, I felt like, you know what I am? I'm an anomaly. Mm-hmm. And I just welcomed it. And mm-hmm. I owned it. And that's how the album yeah. came about. It was kind of like, this is just who I am. Yeah. And you just got to own it. Never fit in, I was an outcast. In grade school, outblasting my outcasts. And now pass, I'm running to catch a route pass. Give me a pen and a pad, I'm trying to outlast all of my idols. American in the foreign arts. Before the foreign cars and the born bars. Money, 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 sex, drugs, and the foreign arts. All this kidding, but where the body's at? 
All this money, where the Bugatti's at? But dig a little deeper and you find another insecure man sitting in a two-seater. The same little boy that got beat up. Plenty pains in his past you can bring up. Nobody ever told him that he could be more than he is, but aside, he's a leader. Talk to me about, like, your your process then a little bit. Like, obviously, for the record to come out of that experience, mm-hmm. you know, do you feel like all of your work is really personal and experiential? Yeah, I, the vast majority of it is. Yeah. You know, probably probably 85% of it is. I mean, there's always the, that 15% that is something that's necessary, but mm-hmm. it may not be personal. It may just be like, it's necessary to make a celebratory song because it's album feels very dark <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah. um but but that that 85 is very personal mm-hmm. um that's where it's my therapy it's where i get to bleed out and yeah. be honest and transparent and and that is when i'm when i'm authentic is when i'm most healthy mm-hmm. you know when i'm honest transparent not hiding not pretending i'm the healthiest version of myself mm-hmm. and um and and that fear that follow me from childhood of fighting for affirmation or daddy's going to leave or abuse is going to come or something like that um, had to be shed and dealt mm. with. And the freedom to be who I was made to be had to be prominent and in the foreground. And mm. the music helps me do that. And so for you now, is it safe to say you've grown comfortable with the tension of kind of living in both worlds? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's just... You know, it's who I am. And um, and I think me growing comfortable in it has helped other people grow comfortable in it. You know, mm-hmm. I always tell the story of my first time in Paris because that's what how this makes sense to me. When I went to Paris, I, I had all these dreams of grandeur. I thought it was going to be the best place ever in the food. It's romance. It's going to be so perfect. And I got there and I couldn't speak the language and nobody would speak English to me and my American, you know, exceptionalism and privilege was kicking in and you know what I mean and I was like ah I hate this place and I just settled for McDonald's because I couldn't I couldn't function and um and but I have a friend uh Brian Kaufman who's there uh as a as a uh, a missionary and and over the year he's been there he's fallen in love with the place Hmm. but he had to fight through that complexity and there's beauty in complexity but you have to wrestle through it to get to it and so I think I've wrestled through enough of the nuance to appreciate the beauty in it all Hmm. and and that's what people are having have been forced to do with me is wrestle with nuance and wrestle with complexity to say ah it's not black or white Mm -hmm. um and that's created new spaces and new opportunities for people. It's not perfect by any means, and sure. it has its downfalls. And yeah. but yeah, how do you stay sane? How do you guard your soul in the midst of it? I I don't honestly. It's it's been a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really been a roller coaster because there has been times. I would say for twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen, I was in probably the worst shape of my my adult life probably mm. i mean outside of pre becoming a christian but because at at that point in time i don't know what's real mm. and i don't and i have all the marks of success and i have all the you got grammys you got plaques you got uh, you know um stability you got family you got faith and yet nothing makes sense mm. and 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 um, it was just a very hard and dark time. And so I, it was difficult to take care of my heart and my soul. So now I'm big on self-care. I'm big on mental, emotional, spiritual health mm-hmm. and making sure that those things are prioritized because I saw the lack of prioritizing them led to just a spiral and a deep depression. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me now, I think I had a formula prior to that. And the formula was you wake up, you have a quiet time and you serve and everything will be fine. Right. And and then that broke down on me. Right. And and God showed me that there's different ways for me to experience care and joy and different things that I need. Um and I need quiet. You know, I need days, a day, a week of just quiet, of yeah. just I mean, just be quiet and listen and think and process. And uh, and I need time with close friends 
to fellowship and talk about what's going on in the process. And Mm -hmm. it's those types of things that I think God really showed me. And it's not just powering through. You did your quiet time and go serve the world. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was just a bad space. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, Last question, I'll let you go. If, you know, young artist comes to you now, obviously this probably happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, looking for advice, like, hey, what what are two or three things I should be thinking about if I want to, if I want to do this, if I want to give my life to music or the arts or acting, you know, yeah. particularly thinking about kind of pressing into these middle spaces yeah. where you live. So, so as a believer, and that's what I tell the artists, the younger artists on my label as well. I I say many times you want the you want the baton or the handle, right? And and you're walking around with this handle, and it's like, look at me with this handle, and I'm I'm in all these, I'm in the middle space, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on Fallon too, and mm-hmm. I'm my handle is attached to a bag, and there's a lot of stuff in that bag, mm-hmm. and it's heavy. And if you're not willing to fill your bag up and carry the entire bag, then the middle space is very dangerous for you. Mm-hmm. And and so my bag is filled with years. Over 20 years now of gaining wisdom from older, wiser people, over 20 years of serving in the community and problem shooting and wrestling through things, over 15 years of learning how to be good at my craft and serve the world with it. It's it's full of reading and learning and growing and processing and being uh, mentored and invested into and making mistakes, lots of them, and learning from those mistakes. And so that's the biggest thing I would say is um, take time to grow and Mm. and to learn who you were created to be because in this consumer society, they're going to tell you who you should be. And if you have no idea who you should be before they tell you, then you're you're in for a dangerous um, existence. And so I think that's the biggest piece I'd say outside of really work at your craft. You know, whatever that is, you've it, that's that has been the catalyst for a lot of what's happened for me. There's been plenty of other individuals who love God and rap, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but not all of them hone their craft. And yeah. the ones who have, you probably know their names. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, man. This really is great. It. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a great yeah. conversation. Now first he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. Cultivated is a production of Harbor Media and Narrativo. We make podcasts at Narrativo. You can learn more about that at narrativogroup.com. This episode was produced and recorded by me. It was edited by Quinette Connor. It was mixed by Mark Owens. Our music today was by Lecrae, and our theme song is by Roman Candle. Go check out our website, cultivatedpodcast.com, and check out our other episodes. You can subscribe to our newsletter and read about other guests. Thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible. Check them out at csbible.com. And hey, if you don't mind, take a minute and subscribe in iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We'll see you in a couple weeks. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?